We've been on this journey in Lent, the season of Lent, for several weeks now. We're actually in the fifth Sunday of Lent, and we've been talking about this idea of letting go and going deeper, growing through our spiritual disciplines, because the Lenten season is this time where we intentionally inventory our time, and we also inventory our time with God. How much time do we spend with God? How much time do we spend following God? Can we build some, some room, some margin in our lives so that we can go deeper in our relationship with God? And so there's this letting go. That's that creating space. Or there's a reprioritization in our lives in order to go deeper with God. And we do that through spiritual disciplines. And so we've hoped that over the last four weeks, now the fifth week, that you've begun to learn some things about spiritual disciplines and hopefully you've already begun to apply them to your lives, right? And if you haven't been with us over the last four weeks, we've, we've covered sort of three core spiritual disciplines that we believe will help you grow in your relationship with God. We've talked about solitude, right? How do we quiet ourselves? How do we quiet our minds? How do we quiet our hearts in order to hear and listen to God's voice, right? How do we have a posture of prayer where we open ourselves, where we can cast the things, our worries and doubts and fears onto God, but that we also leave the conversation open enough for God to speak and bless us and speak into our lives and encourage us and hopefully help encourage other people. Another discipline we've talked about is worship. How do we seek the heart of worship? What does that look like? And then how does it extend just beyond a Sunday morning, right? We are called to live a life of worship, that everything we say and do, somehow it brings glory to God, and somehow it blesses other people. And we talked about the heart of worship kind of having five things. I'm going to rattle through these really quickly, but one of them is desire. Do we actually have a desire to meet with God, to experience God in our lives? Can we pray for that? That maybe we, we feel like we're, we're lacking or we're somehow we're disconnected. And how can we pray to have more of, the, uh, of a desire for God's presence in our life? And maybe for some of us who, who have connected with God and have felt God's presence and know God's presence, we're called to remember, right? The heart of worship has a remembrance of, of who God is and what God has done in your life and, and what also God can do in the present moment. And, and there's also a response, right? When we see God doing something in our lives, we respond by saying, thanks, God, or hallelujah, or, or just, just a simple thank you, right? How do we respond to God? How do we worship God? How do we give God thanks? And then we want to have continuity. The heart of worship, we want to have that continuity, right? To extend into our daily lives, more and more of our lives, we spend in communion with God. There's a continuity beyond the one hour that we share together. It's an, it's an important hour. It's a blessed hour, but we want to cultivate a, a desire, right? We, we don't want to give you all uh, uh, that God can give you in, in one hour. God has so much more to give you in your daily life. God wants all of your life and to show up in all of your life. And this creates a, an amazing expectancy, right? When we begin to see all these things happening and we see God on the move, we become excited, right? Hopefully. And we begin to expect that, yes, God is who God says he is. God is going to be in my life in this moment, whether it's a season of joy and celebration or, or a season of trials and challenges. God is who he says he is, and I expect God to show up because God's 
love is everlasting. God's love and faithfulness is eternal, right? And then we talked about service, right? Jesus stretches us to seek compassion over comfort, right? Jesus challenges us to seek service over ourselves, Right? And sometimes that's a hard thing to do, but, but when we recognize, when we open ourselves up to, to the needs of the world, and maybe it's not so, to, so hard to see, but the world is desperate for a tangible, a tangible expression of God's love, right? And the beautiful, wonderful, awesome, and amazing thing is that when we reach out to people and touch them and serve them and, and, and love them in the way that God loves them, we are actively participating in bringing a piece of heaven on to earth, right? And, and we are responsible for helping that heaven be real in people's lives, that tangible expression of God's love. That's what we get to participate in. And so we've covered these, these three core disciplines of, of life and of faith. And last week, what we talked about was guidance, right? So we do these things. But how can we have more of a posture of guidance? Guidance is seeking God's wisdom and direction for our lives. So how do we open ourselves to listen to God more, right? And as we begin to practice guidance, we can learn pretty quickly, right? Because we have this idea maybe of of how our, our lives should look, how our day should look. And then God might, if we let God speak into our lives, God might lead us to some strange places, right? Whether it's physical places or just circumstances in our lives. And and maybe even lead us to some strange people. People we wouldn't necessarily willingly reach out to, right? Because God is pushing us. Jesus pushes us to to choose compassion over comfort. And so when we do that, It might seem odd or strange at first, but we see and recognize God's goodness. When we were strangers to God, God reached out God's hand and love to us to reconcile us back to God. And so even still, even for myself, we have a reluctance to receive guidance, right? I know that's true for my (laughs) five-year-old, and I can't wait for for Penny to to grow up, and, and we'll see how that goes. But the this primes us for our discussion this morning where we wrestle with this real reluctance that we all have in order to submit ourselves to the guidance of God. Because we can, we can have this reluctance when we try to follow Jesus. Sometimes following Jesus, it can be easy in a certain season. It can be easy to follow Jesus. We can be on fire for God and, and, and we're ready, we're willing But if we continue to live the life of faith, we have seasons, we have ups and downs, we have ebbs and flows of where that passion is. But but we still seek to be faithful to God because God is faithful to us, that God will rekindle that flame and that we'll continue to have that passion and resist that reluctance, right? But but we can be stubborn, right? Or we can be selfish. And, And maybe we're stubborn because we're selfish, right? I can attest to that. Maybe it's because of uncertainty or, beca- or perhaps because we think we have all the answers. Therefore, it's irrelevant for me to, to need to submit myself to God's will. And so what we're going to be talking more about this morning is this idea of submission, specifically submitting to God's will instead of our own. And of course, we, we look 
to Jesus, right? Who is our model for this? He perfectly submits to the will of God. And and throughout Jesus's ministry, it's so radical in what people experience from Jesus and, and what they even hear about who God is that people are like, hold on a second, where is all of this coming from, right? It almost seems foreign. Even people that, that thought that they were close to God, right? The religious leaders and the Pharisees, even it looked strange to them to live out the heart of God each and every day. And they would ask him, where do you get your authority from? Where do you get your authority from, Jesus? And, and another way of asking that is, how are you guided to do what you do? Because no one lives like this. No one sacrifices the way that you sacrifice. No one loves radically like you love. And the response that Jesus gives in different ways and in different examples ultimately boils down to him saying, I see what the Father is doing and I do it, right? I see what God the Father is doing and I'm willing to be guided. I'm willing to be influenced. I trust God enough to follow where God is leading me. God's heart is for all people. And so that's our challenge, but that's also our hope. That's the opportunity as we seek to live like Jesus. When we live like Jesus, we love like Jesus. And so when we give up our need to have our own way, and when we turn our attention away from ourselves and towards others— We live into this calling. We live into our calling as true followers of Jesus. And we begin to submit to the will of God. We begin to choose God's will and God's way over our own way. And we trust that God is good, that God is faithful, that God is loving. And when we look at our passage this morning, which we're about to read, Paul is writing to a a church in Philippi. And in in this one part of the letter, he articulates, Paul articulates, Jesus' embodiment of this amazing radical posture, this posture of humility and submission to God's heart, to God's will, and to God's way. And so if you want to turn with everyone uh, to Philippians, the book of Philippians, it is in the New Testament. It is sandwiched between Ephesians and Colossians. So just go past the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, and you'll begin to find your way. And if you don't have a Bible, we have tons, not tons, but we have some uh, Bibles, awesome Bibles that are free to give to you because we believe in everyone engaging in God's Word. And so flip along, find it, even if it takes you the rest of the service to figure out where this is, engage in your Bibles. I know a lot of you engage, like we mentioned at the beginning of the service, through your your smartphones or or devices. Engage in that way too. And of course, if you have neither of those things with you this morning, you can follow along on the screens. But this is what Paul is saying as an encouragement to the church in Philippi. He says this, he says, don't do anything for selfish purposes— But with humility, think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. Adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. And he shares this poem. Though he was in the form of God, he being Jesus, he did not consider being equal with God as something to exploit. 
But instead, he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and becoming like human beings. When he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. And everyone said, thanks be to God. Amen. So this, this poem that, that Paul shares, this encouragement that he shares, he says that everyone should live in such a way that they think of other people as better than themselves. And, and, and he, he bookends that with this, this great synopsis of the gospel story. Jesus came to save and to serve. He didn't take advantage of what he shared with God, but instead he gave up that in, in order to serve all of God's people. Right? He humbled himself. And so what Paul is trying to do here, he wants to remind and encourage the church in Philippi, Philippi to continue serving, right? And, and to continue having the same heart and posture that Jesus had, even in the midst of persecution, right? Rome was still ruling and they were still fearful of the Romans. And he's telling them that continue the work that, is, that has been begun in you and God will fulfill it. And, and what Paul does is he points out that they are to watch out what is best for others. How hard can that be when, when you're fearful of what might happen to you, right? Based on the way that you reach out, and the way that you serve people, the way that you're called to follow Jesus, that can get you in trouble. That can put you in prison. That can put you to death even. And so he's saying, don't miss sight of what I've called you to do. Of course, God cares about our well-being. But we are called to, to care for the well-being of all people. So watch out for what is best for others rather than focus solely, focusing solely on their own good. What Paul is doing here is Paul is, is pointing out this change. He's pointing out a change in their perspective. He's pointing out a change in our perspective as followers of Jesus where we're no longer the center of our world but God is. Other people are the center of our world. And Paul says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition, but with humility, think of others as better than yourselves. I think the more that we inventory ourselves, the more that we become self-aware about why we're motivated to do, to say, to behave the way that we do, a lot of it comes from a, a selfish perspective. A lot of it comes from selfish ambition until we encounter Jesus's radical love where Jesus empties himself. There is no selfish ambition, only this, this radical love of God that empties himself, that sacrifices himself for us. Jesus sacrifices his life to redeem our lives with God. Right? And it's the selfish ambition we hear about at the beginning of the Bible. It's what first separated us from God in the first place. And it what, it's what continues to separate us from God. And it continues to, to push us away from each other. Right? This, this happened in the beginning with, with Adam and Eve's relationship with God. They, unlike Jesus, they tried to seize equality with God. And they had already been given everything. And so the, the, the tragedy is that even though they had been deceived, they had been tricked, they had been tempted to do this, to disobey God, 
I believe that they, they ultimately were willing to entertain that thought because of one thing. I think somehow deep in their hearts, the, the root of their disobedience was that somehow along the way, they had learned to not trust God. They didn't trust God. They, they didn't trust that God had their best interest at heart. They, they believed that God wasn't f- somehow fully loving them, that God was somehow holding out, withholding from them, right? And it created this distrust. And said, maybe there's something that I can gain to be like God. They, they switched places with God. They put themselves in the centers of their life rather than God. And so they took matters in their own hands. They made a mess of it. In fact, nothing people could do could ever repair or redeem this separation, right? We were stuck. God tried to give us all these ways in which we could try to repair this relationship. God continued to love us. Even when our love failed, God's love remained steadfast. God remained faithful to his beloved creation. And what God chose not to do was to to leave us in that place. To to let us succumb to the, the separation, which ultimately leads to death. And the reason why that is, is is if we understand God as the source of life, and and we have separated ourselves from the source, we begin to wither and die. And God did not want that to, to happen. God wanted to repair that relationship, that which had been separated. God wanted to rejoin And so what God did is God humbled God's self through Jesus Christ by becoming human and sacrificing himself for our redemption so that we would have everlasting life. We we wouldn't succumb to death. We would be rejoined to that source of life and be in relationship with God as we were before. And it would be an awesome and beautiful and amazing thing. All would be repaired. All would be redeemed by God because we are unable to do it ourselves. And so this is the posture that we are called to have as true followers of Jesus. We let go of our control and we begin to have a posture of guidance. We let go of that selfish ambition and we begin to open ourselves up and submit to the, to the voice and to the heart of God. And the question is this, are we going to trust God's steadfast love? Have we, have we had one encounter and, and trust that God's going to be faithful with the next and every encounter in our lives? Are we going to trust God's steadfast love? Are we going to trust that God has our best interest at heart? Or... Are we going to replace God's role in our life with our own selfish desires? Are we going to let God be the center or are we going to seize that role for ourselves? We're called to, to model Jesus. We're called to follow Jesus. If Jesus emptied himself, we are called to do the same. Submission 
to God's will involves trusting God. And if we trust God, if we trust God, we will let God influence us. If we trust God, we'll let God influence us to live out God's will rather than our own because we know that 9.9 times out of 10, we're going to somehow find a way to serve ourselves rather than serving God's heart and God's desire. And so what spiritual disciplines do, the reason why we spend so much time on this about prayer, about engaging in God's word and in worship and, and finding ways to serve is that it builds in us this capacity to grow, to begin to view others as better than ourselves, and that we find ways to serve them, and we begin to model what Christ has done for us. We begin to show the love that, that Jesus has shown us. We grow in our trust of God's heart, and we are able to follow through with it, right? We're, we are able to submit, to, to say yes to God's will over our own. And friends, this is where I really think this is, this is where the rubber meets the road, right? We, we can, you can call yourself a Christian or a Christ follower, but, but at some point, it's going to cost you something. It's going to force you to, to change your perspective to, to, to be less about you and more about other people. That, that's the hard lesson. That's the lesson we never stop learning from for the rest of our lives. This is where it becomes really clear where we are motivated by our selfish desires versus God's desires. Right? It's not easy. I once had a, a campus pastor preach about this, and he said something that really stuck out to me, and, and I've kind of held on to this, this phrase, and I actually believe it to be true about myself is, is this idea that I'm convinced that I'm the most selfish person I know. I'm convinced that I'm the most selfish person I know because I'm the one that gets in the way of whether or not God's will is getting done because it's my choice to, to follow God's heart, to follow God's will, to follow God's way. God doesn't force that on us. God says, I, I have this beautiful way. What, it, it's going to be hard. In fact, you can't do it by yourself. You're going to need my help. You're going to need the help of my son to redeem you. You're going to need the help of my spirit to, to equip you, to empower you, to guide you. You're going to need my help. But if you're willing to do this, you're going to bring about healing to a broken world, to the whole world. So am I in the way of doing that? Am I in the way of doing that, of getting in the way of God's will being done or my will being done? Our trust with God grows deeper when we submit ourselves to spiritual disciplines. And, and that's a spectrum of, of things. We, we talked a lot about that in our community group this morning. What calling does God or has God placed on your life? And, and what can you do today? What can you do tomorrow? Right? Don't jump off in the deep, deep end. 
Praise God if God, God's going to equip you, but most likely, just like any other discipline in our lives, it takes time, intentional time. If God is leading you to, to spend more time in God's word, don't be like, I'm going to read it three times a day. Be gracious with yourself and begin to ask God, what are some ways, even if it's once a week, y'all, that's better than none. And then how can that grow? Be guided even in that posture of the desire and willingness to grow closer to God. We need spiritual disciplines because we want our story to be like Jesus' story. That's what we're called to do as followers of Jesus. And in order to do that, we have to let go of our control. We have to let go of our selfish ambition. We have to let go of ourselves in order to go deeper with God. When we trust God, we willingly let God have influence in our lives. And think about the reverse of that. If we don't trust God, why would we ever submit to God's will? And why would we ever let God influence us to have any say-so in our lives? But we have to begin by just being open. Even if we've never had an encounter with God, how can we be open? How can our hardened hearts be, be softened? How can we begin to trust God so that we let God influence us to serve and heal the world. Submission requires trust, and trust opens the door for us to be influenced, to be shaped, motivated, to be convicted, to be inspired, to do the work that God first started through His Son, Jesus Christ, and now continues through us as Christ followers. Through submission, we have a readiness and a willingness to choose to serve others with the heart of God over our selfish ambitions. Paul continues in that same chapter, chapter 2 of the book of Philippians. In verse 13, he says this, God is the one who enables you to both want and to actually live out God's good purposes, right? God is a part of both aspects in our discipleship, and our faithfulness of, of following Jesus. And so the question is, do we want to live out God's good purposes or not? Do we know God's will, and then do we want to submit to it, right? The rubber meets the road. Are we going to choose to say yes or no when it comes to following God? Do we know that it means taking ourselves out of the center of our lives, removing some of that say-so, some of that control, and putting our trust in God and putting God back in the center of our lives. Friends, discipleship, truly following Jesus, costs us something. Scripture talks about, Jesus talks about dying to ourselves, right? We, we begin to yield to our selfish ambition. We die to that. And instead, we, we embrace a new life, which is in, in communion with God, right? To follow the way of Jesus and to love others as much as Jesus loved us, as much as God loves us. And so following Jesus takes a lot of help. It takes a lot of help from God. It takes a lot of help from us, from our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why we're called a community of faith, not individuals of faith. 
communities of faith. And if you don't have a community, we want to plug you into a community so that you can help grow and become more disciplined in your life with God and with each other. That's why we're on this journey together. You are never alone. And God is going to continue to stretch me. He's going to continue to stretch you. He's going to continue to stress us to let go so that we can go deeper. Deeper as a son and daughter of God and deeper as a true follower of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, in our time of of prayer, God, in in attempting to, to have an open posture, God, God, we we release even that much control just to assume that posture. So God, I ask that wherever we are in relationship to you, God, that even though our selfish ambition separates us from you, God, through your son Jesus, what your son has been able to do for us to redeem us back to you, your word says that nothing can separate us from the love of God through Jesus Christ. So God, we, we lean into that truth. God, we lean into that grace. God, we we lean into that promise for our lives. So God, we want to ask ourselves, what would be different about today if I let my need, if I let go of my my need to be in control? God, God, if I did some of that today, God, how would you speak to me? How would I begin to treat other people? So God, I I pray that this would be planted deeply in our hearts, God. And God, that you begin to reveal to us some signs that, that, that in our lives that maybe point to ourselves at the center rather than pointing to you and pointing to others. God, we confess that. And even in that confession, God, you call us closer. God, you don't leave us into shame or into separation. But God, you call us by name. You ask us to join you and to live with you and to live with your people. God, we thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.